walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partners with them, for at what one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works or darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. you pray with me heavenly father we come before you to praise your holy name today lord we just want to thank you for this beautiful day this awesome time to come to worship you to lift your name on high lord i just pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds uh, for communion to hear the truth of your word to experience your salvation this morning 
thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you please stand? <laughs> Him. 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That's, I think I can probably conclude my communion message with that. Um, as we gather for communion here, I 
We've been going through in Sunday School Answers in Genesis and talking about the various ways that God com has commanded the Israelites to remember what he's done. And like in the Old Testament, he uh, uh, commanded them to always remember the Passover and how he delivered them out of Egypt. And then, then we just studied today how he delivered them into the promised land and they, they mark that remembrance with a pile or a statue of stone, so to speak. But yet the greatest remembrance is what Christ has done for us on the cross. And I wanted to read something from uh, Alistair Begg. He's a pastor been a pastor for a long time, I think in the uh, Cleveland area, up in that area. So, and um, he's talking in Romans, the verse Romans 8.1, where it says, there's no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I just want to kind of to read this, because I think this is a, this is a good little devotion that, uh, really brings home what Christ did for us on the cross. So Alistair Begg, state, he, he starts out, he goes, one of the perennial misconceptions about Christianity is that God views each of us as sort of a living scoreboard. One side lights up with our sins and failures and the other tallies our good deeds and victories. And so long as the good wins out in the final score, the results will be good enough for God, right? But the matter of the fact is <clears throat> that if we tally up our sins and compare them to our obedience, we always lose. It's not even a competition, competition really. Like when a pro team faces off against a junior varsity squad, it'll be a blowout. Still, too many of us fool ourselves into thinking we have time for a comeback. We can fix ourselves up just enough before the final whistle blows or work hard enough to come out victorious. Such thinking isn't even on the same playing field as the gospel, and it misses, the gr misses grace entirely. It is never our own score that helps our standing before God. No, it has to be Christ's. In the words of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, <clears throat> your salvation is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. The gift is Christ's perfect tally in our place. Nothing less than his perfect righteousness will do. When you really begin to understand the gospel, it sounds too good to be true. What person deserves such extravagant grace? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How do I deserve God's extravagant grace? But that's precisely the point. Our salvation is completely a gift, and it is utter utterly undeserved. We don't deserve it now, nor could we ever. But God grants mercy to us regardless. 
He declares us victorious, no, con no condemnation because of Jesus Christ and only because of Jesus Christ. Being a Christian does not immunize you from taking a scoreboard approach to life. Paul's entire letter to the Galatian church was to urge them not to give up on grace. We face a constant battle to remember that it is in Christ and only ever in Christ and never in our performance that we enjoy no condemnation. And, he, and Alistair asks a question here and it, I think it's kind of a per, pertinent question that you can put in your heart and kind of contemplate on it today. His question is, have you lost the joy of your salvation? It is likely because you're looking too much at yourself and too little at Jesus. In the Christian life, there is no need for despair and no room for pride because it is never about you. It's always about him. In Christ Jesus, God gives you the win. There's no greater gift, no greater victory, and no greater joy. Then he, then he kind of asks some questions, and there'll, be, and there'll be some questions that you might be able to ponder too. Is how, how is God calling me to think differently? How is God reordering my heart's affections in that what do I truly love? And what is God calling me to do as I go about my day to day? I thought that was kind of a good... Uh, Good reminder as we head into communion, uh, just what, is, what, what it is about that Christ actually did on the cross. So as the men gather up the uh, uh, elements, they'll bring the bread forth. First, uh, here at Harvest, we don't require that you are a member of the church. We just require that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you've given your life to him. Um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll pause for a moment to examine ourselves. If you have any unconfessed sin or unresolved sin that you need to bring before the Lord, we'll take a moment that you can, that you can do that. If you haven't been able to do that, then just feel free to pass on the elements. There is no judgment on that. But you need to have a right heart and a right motive when you're coming to the, to the table of the Lord. So let's just pause for a moment. And as we get started, when the men uh, pass the trays, they include either a role, like if you're with a group, a family group or something that you want to share, or they'll have the disposable cups with the, the, the single-use wafer and that sort of thing. So take the bread and hold it, and, and when everybody's served, we'll partake together. And then when the, when the juice is served, go ahead and uh, partake of that as you're given that. Heavenly Father, we just 
We just thank you for just the reminder of the victory that we have in you and that it's not about us and it's always and it's always has been about you and what you've done for us. And we just praise you and glorify your name and the grace that you've provided. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke 22, verse 19, it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the men bring the juice up, just as a reminder that as you're served, just go ahead and partake of the, of the juice, and you can either put the cup back in the tray, or you can put it, actually, there's a little spot, and a seat in front of you has a little cup holder. In Luke 22, verse 20, Jesus talks about... Uh, and likewise the cup after they, they had eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood.
we go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and we thank you. And, and Jesus, you, you willingly went to the cross for us. It wasn't anything that we deserved. It wasn't anything that we earned. There's no amount of effort or good works that we could do to achieve what you did on the cross. It's totally a free gift from you, and we just praise you for your grace and mercy that you bestowed upon us, and we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Ninety-five percent of people. My name is Eduard Ndiki, and I'm from Senegal. Ninety-five percent of people where I grow up are not Christian, but from all of that population, God picked my dad to be a pastor. Growing up was not easy seeing your friends going to school. We have to stay at home because my parents didn't have money to send us at school. I was so upset because all my friends have everything they want. When I say, Dad, why we are not blessed like them? And he said, even if you don't eat, even if you don't have stuff, Edward, remember that you have God. I was involved in the group Good News Club. That Wednesday was amazing. We were coming to have fun, to laugh, to joke, to do all of that. And uh, we received a box. We opened it. In the side of the box was toothbrush. I didn't have toothbrush when I was growing up. We used charcoals and salt to brush our teeth. Having it for the first time was just a miracle. This is the wow was wrapped like this. I didn't know what is inside. Carefully, this is my yo-yo. This is my yo-yo. Every day, every night, with the neighborhood, we always play. 
someone cares. God, he cares so much. He have to use someone somewhere around the world to pack my box. I came to United States because of my background being a track athlete. I was involved in the church in my local town. And one time, I saw the boxes I received when I was 14. And I was so excited. I didn't have words. I was just like, what is, what is this? Where did this come from? It's reality here, people. It's you guys are doing this for real? And they say, yes. I say, I received one when I was 14. And everybody was so happy. Everybody was looking at me like, yes, you are in our church. Seeing God connecting me being 14 and coming to United States and to see the two elements just connected as a perfect picture, show me that I'm in the right spot. I'm in the right place serving the Lord. Daniel is my son. Daniel is the version of Edward in Senegal, but in the United States. Talking to him is the opportunity like my dad told me. No matter what you struggle with, remember, you have a God that loves you. Daniel packed boxes, and he liked to say also his dad received one. In the corner of this universe, you have a kid that is waiting for you to pack a box for them. It's not just a shoebox that you are packing. You are changing lives. Good morning, and it is shoebox time again. And uh, this time we're going to do something a little differently. Um, we're going to have the boxes here, and you can take one or several home with you to pack so you can shop with your kids and family and kind of make a, a fun time of it. Um, there's labels on the front, so you'll just need to check whether it's for a boy or a girl and what age that you have selected. So you can select whatever age you would like. Um, at the table back there where the poster is, underneath there's some tubs. We did have leftover toothbrushes, soap, washcloths and crayons, um, hair barrettes, ribbons, things like that. So feel free, however it fits your box, to help yourself to those. Um, we'll have until November 5th and then just bring your packed box here and then we will get those delivered. So um, as he said, something as simple as a toothbrush um, can make someone's just lets them know how how God cares for them I'm so glad we don't have to brush our teeth with charcoal um, that would not be good but um, the washcloth the yo-yo those are all things that we have packed before so who knows he might have even received one of the boxes from our church so thank you in advance for all of your help we appreciate it Okay, good morning. Announcements uh, this week, our Sunday school time is at 9.30, and that's for both the kids and the adults. There's a ladies' morning Bible study that meets Tuesdays here at the church at 10 o'clock. And then on Wednesdays, um, 6.30 here at the church, both the men's group and the youth group meet. And then we're continuing to... Uh, collect some snack donations for the Good News Club at Hoover Elementary in Council Bluffs. 
So if you'd like to help with that, just talk to Molly or Esther Brandt. And then also, it's not on there, but we do have a governing board meeting Monday night here at the church at 7 o'clock. Anyone else have any announcements? heard that youth groups go into Vallas this Wednesday. Anyone else? Mike? time any praises anyone would like to share or prayer requests
genders. others okay well, let's go to the Lord in prayer whoever feels uh, led to open please do so and after a short time I'll close
Father, as we continue this morning, we lift up Laura and her upcoming surgery. Father, we pray that uh, the surgery be, would be successful and that she would make a, a full recovery. Lord, we also lift up Jill and her upcoming uh, chemotherapy treatment. Uh, Father, we just pray that uh, uh, you would fill her with your spirit, that she would be able to um, tolerate the treatment and the treatment would be effective. Father, we also lift up uh, Grace Polly and, and just uh, continue to, to pray for her and, and for her family and pray for recovery and strength and encouragement. And, and we just thank you, Father, that uh, in all circumstances, you, all, you are always at work. Lord, this morning, we also lift up Frankie Joe and Thank you for her, and we pray, Lord, that uh, she would just continue to progress and get stronger, and, uh, and that she would make a kind of a full recovery and, and get home um, sooner rather than later, Father. But we just thank you for, for how you are faithful and, and for how you provide and care for her. Father, this morning, we uh, also thank you that uh, Jen was able to go to this conference and thank you for the encouragement that she received there. Father, this morning we also lift up Pastor Kurt. We ask that uh, you would give him boldness to speak the truth of your word and we ask that your spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And all these things that we've lifted up to you, Father, we pray that your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm on. There. Test. This is going to work. 
Now it does. I don't know. that your week went well, that you were able to engage a little bit with some of the encouragement that we talked about last week, uh, the confident hope that we have in Jesus, uh, what he has done for us, and that we are raised with him. Um, perhaps you had some opportunity to dive into the questions that we talked about in terms of what it is that we are setting our hearts and minds on and perhaps who it is or what it is that is your life. You know, what other people see in you that would describe what your life is like. You know, those types of questions, um, I think, help us to examine our walks a little bit, just to give us a good healthy checkup of what we're doing. Um, and today, as we move along, we're gonna be in the, more of the sanctification piece of this book in Colossians. Um, but you know, when we think about those things, we examine what it is that, or the different areas that we make strides in our faith. You know, you examine your faith often. How is it that you then use what you find to make changes? Um, I do want to apologize for last week. I talked super fast last week. And I know that a lot of that can go right over your head, so I'll work on slowing down a little bit this week. But since we are talking about the old self and different sins, I'll try not to linger too long and make eye contact when I'm talking about, you know, sexual morality and malice and anger. It can get a little awkward, a little bit judgy a little bit. So even though awkward is awesome, I still want to just make sure that I slow down so that everybody can kind of understand what's going on. I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, Eric, too. I know it's different. All right, so we are gonna be in chapter three again. And again, we've been through this chapter before in the series when we talked about keeping in step with the spirit. Um, now, I did not look at that transcript. I didn't go back and listen to that message because I like to look at something a little bit more fresh as we're going through it, because in the last couple of years, hopefully we've grown, hopefully we've, we've matured in different aspects. So it's interesting to see how God can continue to move through the same passage just over a little bit of time. Um, and there's gonna be a couple of parallel passages or other things that we're gonna be going through that you might wanna write down. Uh, Ephesians 5, three through 14, that was the call to worship this morning. But that's the parallel passage to what we're going to be going over. And then Romans 8.13 will teach the same principles that we're going to study today. So we're going to be in um, Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 5 through 11 today. Uh, as you get there, I'll invite you to stand as we, we read God's word. Beginning in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, as we dive into your word today, just pray that you would give us your truth and your understanding. Help us through some of these areas of sanctification. Allow your spirit to guide and lead and just allow our identity to be firmly in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, now, as we kind of look at this as a whole, I debated about putting in the last two verses or whether to save them for next week when we talk about the new self. Uh, sometimes when you're making those divisions and what we're gonna talk about, it can be kind of tricky. Um, but I, did, I wanted to include them because as Paul frequently does, he puts the hope and the emphasis and the focus back on Christ. I mean, some messages, some passages you want to be left in a state of wrestling, but here I just felt as much as Paul does this, we wanna continue to have our focus on him. So as I've said before, we've gone through this passage before, and as you do that, there are some things that you will always kind of say. You know, when you're studying this type of passage, the first thing that should pop out to you are the verbs. There are three imperative verbs in this section. Um, as he goes through these different lists, you have put to death, or to consider as dead, put away or rid yourself, and do not lie. And again, I thought it was funny how last week in Sunday school we talked about Rahab and had that fun conversation. And then, you know, midweek I had decided to change instead of doing all the first 12 verses or first 11 just to the first four. So it's funny how sometimes that always matches up. But don't worry, we're going to match up to the days too. So... All right, so when we look at these verbs, obviously we pay attention to them because they are imperatives. They are commands to us. We must do them, right? But then you look at the lists that are being described and you begin to check off. Yep, failed at that one. Yep, did this one today, did this one, that one too. So what gives? You know, if there are commands, how do we understand those areas that we still struggle in? How do we have, when, when we look at these lists and we check off some, but others have no impact on us, right? Showing that it's very individual, showing that we each have different struggles. We also have to realize that this is not an exhaustive list. It's not something that defines every sin that would bring the wrath of God, because sin in general does that, and we have to be aware of that. These are just things that Paul is talking about that the Colossians could be struggling with. And as we look at how it starts, he's saying to put to death what is earthly in you. Now, to define that, I would say it's, it's worldly, it's fleshly, it's part of the old self. It's things that are not focused on God, things that would be idolatrous. When we look at that term, to put to death, you know, the old life is dead and we need to let it, we need to let it die. The Greek word here is necrosate, which we get the... English word necrosis from. 
if you are in the medical field and you have seen pictures of necrosis, you understand that it is dead flesh. It is rotting away. And this word literally means to make dead. Now, sometimes I, I will add in the Greek words to help make connections for us. Because if we can understand some of the English contexts, we can understand that this isn't just a simple something I can suppress. It's not something that I can control. No, Paul is telling them that they are to completely wipe this out, that they are to eradicate it, that they are to slay it utterly. It, it brings about this force within the meaning. So when we look at this verb, it does, it's also an aorist imperative. It means that you make a very clear, distinctive action that is undertaken. And there's a sense of urgency behind it. So the meaning and the force of this, of this verb shows that it's vigorous. It's a painful act, but it's one of personal determination. You know, one of the analogies I saw this week, it likens it to a man who's working on a machine and he gets his fingers stuck in some rollers or some belt mechanism. And he has to make a decision because in one more minute, he's gonna be pulled through that machine. And he has to you know, take, decide to take a, a hatchet or a knife or machete and just chop off his arm. And as painful and as not pleasant as that may seem, the alternative would be a horrible death. You know, another analogy that we often use is that of a gardener who would be grafting plants or trees. You know, once the graft has been made onto the old stock, you have to carefully snip away any of the shoots from the old stock that might appear. Same as in a believer's life. In our lives, since we have been grafted into Christ, we have new life, and we must, by the Spirit, put to death anything of the old life that might appear. Now for us, the grafting chapter is found in Romans chapter 11. If you want to spend some time in that week, or this week, if you want to spend some time in that. But then Romans 8 verse 13, again sharing this same principle, Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And you know, we really need to cling to this principle that teaches that it's by the spirit that you're putting the, these things to death because that is our action now when we look at this command I think it's easy for us to fall into that try harder mentality that we can just do it in our own power that would be like practicing asceticism see asceticism says that by my own will I can subdue the flesh simply by denying its desires let me just ask, how many times have we tried that and failed? Just trying to stop the sin. Whereas with the Christian understanding and the virtue of self-control, it says that we subdue the flesh by relying on the Holy Spirit to empower us to deny its desires, to put it to death. See, there's a huge difference in the mentality um, that goes along with this in terms of the attitude and position that we have to recognize in view of our actual position You know you go back up to verse 1 in chapter 3 that we are raised with Christ When we understand our identity when we understand our position in him We adopt this attitude towards our present place on earth This helps us to become in experience in our real life day-to-day -day, what we already are in reality in Christ See, in our understanding of what it means to put something to death, there has to be this decisive initial act. 
that introduces a settled attitude. Because God, in salvation, has broken the power of the evil nature over the body. We saw this up in chapter 1, verse 13. We saw this in chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, where God has done that work. Now we are charged with this responsibility to maintain that state of freedom, to maintain that state of liberation by surrendering and submitting to the Spirit. Even as the temptations from the old self come before us, we are to put them to death. That is, to refuse to obey them because we have a new master. We've been bought with his blood. So we enter this first list. As you look at this list, you see it's primarily a list of sexual sins. Um, and again, I'm sure that we've gone through this before, but just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Sexual immorality translates the Greek word pornea. You can kind of get a glimpse of what that means, but it is the most general Greek word for sex illicit sexual behavior and intercourse. Originally, it would denote consorting with prostitutes, but then over time, it became more about habitual immorality. Impurity has more of a moral connotation. It includes uncleanness uh, in thought, word, and act. You can go to the Old Testament for reference in terms of you know, certain laws and being unclean and what they would have to do for rituals. So you can see just touching a dead body would make you unclean. So again, impurity has a wider reference than just sexual immorality. The word in the ESV, passions, we can also use lust. This essentially means uh, feelings or experiences in an intense way. It's always used in the New Testament in a bad sense and it deals more so with uncontrolled desires. Then of course, the phrase following with evil desires, it's similar, but again, perhaps a little bit more general in terms rather than just passions. And then covetousness is greed, it suggests a desire to have more. And this attitude is connected with idolatry because it's putting material things in the place of God. So that's the first list. And then he says in verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So, I falter, I fail in some way from this list, and I begin to think, oh no, the wrath of God is coming for me. Am I truly saved? You see, this verse, this placement, has caused me, especially, a lot of doubt in my walk. See, these characteristics, though, they normally would describe the unsaved. They would normally describe the sons of disobedience, as it says in Ephesians 5. These lists talk more so about identity, being identified with those things, than the acts themselves. And there's a slight difference that we're going to have to pay attention to when we go get a little bit deeper in that. See, when we look at verse 7, we combine that with verse 6. It says, it is in the ways that you once walked. So it's in the ways that you once were identified. But again, when we look at verse 1, that we are raised with Christ, our identity is now found in him. So you are to put these things off. You are to put these things to death. Now, some people will understand the wrath of God as referring to more of a general principle in life, such as you reap what you sow. And they bring in more of the modern notions of karma. But karma, of course, is more of an Eastern religion type of thing and a false teaching. 
it's better for us to understand this phrase as meaning for the end times when it talks about the wrath of God is coming. Is coming is showing that it's a present tense, that it is a certainty with God's judgment to fall on the disobedient. And when we tie in verse 7 with the sins mentioned there in verse 5, it describes the pre-Christian experience for the Colossians. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Two verbs, both in past tense, emphasizing the kind of life that belongs to the path and one that Christians should be done with. But what's the reality? We still struggle in these areas, right? If not these areas, then maybe the next list. Again, it's not exhaustive. Then we read this verse and think that the wrath of God is coming for me. Am I still saved? Again, looking at the verses, he just described the Colossians as being raised with Christ. And then just a few verses later, you have the wrath of God is coming for such as these. Which verse do you listen to more? See, this is where the torment would happen in my mind and the enemy would bring in doubts. Now this next part's gonna get a little bit wordy, so I just ask that you stay with me for a little bit. Breathe, just, it's gonna be okay. When those attacks come, we have to understand how they're coming and who they're coming from. Because we know that God is not a God of confusion. He would not bring doubt to our mind. The enemy does that, we do that. We have to understand that. So let me ask you, when you see a list like this and you ask yourself those types of questions, what sin, if you commit any of these sins, which sin is it that says you have lost your salvation? Yes, we are to take the wrath of God seriously. And when we're confronted with sin, we examine that. We deal with that guilt. We ask the question, are we walking in the manner worthy of the grace that we've received? This is part of sanctification, where we then surrender and submit to the Spirit to do the work in us. We surrender to the commands of God and His Word rather than our own selfishness to understand that we're being made into the image of Christ. We are not yet perfected. You know, when these doubts plague our minds and we begin to live in a constant state of fear where we're questioning our salvation, eventually we become paralyzed, wondering every time that we mess up whether or not we're truly saved because we think that we have to be perfect. It's a different perspective to have a healthy fear of God, the one that we're supposed to have, you know, because when we're operating in fear, what really is happening is we think that our own works or our own ability to keep the commands of God verify us or keep us saved. Instead, we have to rest in the understanding that apart from the blood of Christ, we're all owed the wrath of God. It is only because of his blood that we are sealed by the Spirit and that we are raised unto new life. Understanding that when we see verse 6, as a believer... We humbly approach in repentance, asking for forgiveness of the sins that we commit and for his spirit to fill us, to renew us. And this is a daily bread type of thing. This is daily coming before the Father, humbly understanding the sins that we have committed. You know, if we tie our salvation to our ability to perform, then we're not resting in his grace. 
We're not resting in the fact that Jesus has paid the price for us, that he has paid the price of the wrath of God, that he has given us a new identity. Instead, we're thinking it's Jesus and me. It's my ability to keep his law. And we have to be careful of that type of mentality because the enemy can run rampant with it. Perhaps dwell on that a little bit in terms of how you articulate and understand sanctification, how you, how you understand these lists this week. You know, this list here deals with impurity. It deals with sexual sins. He gives us another list in verse 8. This list deals primarily with speech and attitude. The but now, as it starts, marks an emphatic contrast. So it seems like it's more like the, or the crisis moment in sanctification, when, one where we do an abrupt turn and turn towards Christ and away from our sin. We do that full 180. And the imagery of this verb here of to rid yourselves or to put off is that of putting off clothes, taking off filthy garments. And then our minds hopefully right away goes to how we can put on the righteousness of Christ and the garments that he gives us. But again, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. So when we look at these terms and this list, the first three, um, anger, rage, malice, speak of sins of disposition. So this would be your usual mood, your temperament. Um, now I would say that you know yourselves. How angry are you? You know, when you look at this list, you think, all right, yeah, this list here, this one's impossible for me. Great. Great. That's a good thought to have. Because you've probably been trying your whole life to stop this behavior. Or in the prior list, same thing. You've probably been trying to stop in your own power. And we have to come to accept and, and understand what Christ does in us. You know, sometimes when we get in the, those modes of the stop it mentality, we just resign ourselves to it. Well, I guess this is just me. I'm just an angry person and people need to accept it. You know, I think for too long, we've been trying to, to stop things in our own power. And we need the spirit to empower us to do this. You know, once we get to those points of brokenness because we raged yet again, we need to come to a place of surrender, of submission, realizing that we can't do this on our own, but it's only through the power of the spirit. See, the Spirit recalls to mind what we have been saved from, and that includes our anger. And we step into that grace, and we realize that Jesus has saved me. And I don't have to respond in that way, because his Spirit shows me a different way. Now, obviously, it's easier said than done, especially in some of those moments when you just want to strangle someone, when you're blinded by rage. But it's the process and the pattern that we need to adopt more in our lives. So let's look at some of these individual terms. Anger is probably a very widely held understanding is just a very settled feeling of anger where it's a sustained uh, feeling towards someone or something. With this term, this is what maybe you would be describing an angry person with this type of a term. Rage is seen as a sudden passionate outburst of those feelings of anger. I think this is probably one of the harder ones to defend against just because it's a reaction a lot of times. It seems like it's a snap of a finger and you change and boom, there's rage. And then you feel that guilt, you're just like, oh, I just messed up again. 
at least in my life, it's, it's hard to combat against those types of things. Malice. This would be a general term for badness, for uh, viciousness, for evil temperament. It's a spirit that prompts someone to injure a brother or sister, to get even, perhaps. I think that this can be done with words or actions. Um, interesting analogy I have for malice. I'm sure being in the Midwest that we are all avid hockey fans, right? I'm sure you can name five players right now. But hockey's pretty interesting. It's one of those sports where you can legally assault someone. <laughs> and you think about the penalties that they have. They have penalties for eye gouging. I think of the Three Stooges, just, you know. <laughs> they, they have penalties for biting, for throwing objects at people. And they have penalties for instigating. You get two minutes in the box for causing somebody to attack you. In moments of rage and anger, how many times do you think that those moments are instigated by malice? Someone else using words intended to injure, to provoke you. Now, I'm not excusing that by any means, the anger, the rage. But so often, once somebody blows their lid, that's all we focus on. We never investigate how it happened. We never mention our own maliciousness. Being good with words, I knew how to get under people's skins. Being in families, you know how to push each other's buttons. There's a maliciousness that can be found there. Again, just trying to examine our own hearts and minds and how we live out the Christian life. Slander goes along with malice in terms of the words that we use. In legal settings, it's often tied with defamation where you are attacking someone's character and it's false speech usually. Obscene talk or filthy language could be addressing either the, the filthy or abusive speech, cursing, things of that nature. And I think with this list in particular, Jesus has multiple teachings that say very similar things. And I chose one from Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. You know, in the sanctification process, you're being made into the image of Christ. And that takes time. There's progression. There's growth. In some of the, these areas that we've gone over in the lists, it's an instant change. And praise God for those times. But in other areas, it's a lifelong battle. It's a struggle where we are dependent on the Lord, where we are constantly hearing right teaching and we're helping to place our trust and our hope in what his words have said, constantly surrendering and submitting each and every day. You know, I, as I'm around people that are going through hard times or they're in moments of trauma or crisis, many times they will revert back to what's called language one, um, to where there are no filters and they just say whatever is on their heart, whatever is on their mind. And I learned very early on, you let them go. Because that's kind of what they're reverting back to in terms of the old self. That might be what they're comfortable with, what they were raised with, whatever it might be. 
And it's in those moments of trauma and crisis that you can produce some hope, that you can point them, but they might not be able to hear it as well. So when we think about sanctification, we understand that it is a process. It is the spirit who is renewing our minds to trust in him and respond more in a Christian way. Have you noticed that there are times in your life that maybe you recognize, maybe you don't, but there's times where, you know, I wanted to really punch that person, but I didn't. Thank you, Tanya. There are times where maybe I wanted to curse that person out or honk my horn at them, but I didn't. You know, that's growth. That is to be celebrated. So oftentimes we, we fall into this area of focusing on the guilt of when we mess up and we forget to focus on those times where God is working in our life, where he is showing up and we're responding in his nature. We're responding in a sanctified way, in a holy way. And we need to celebrate those victories because it's growth, it's maturity. If we can spend more time in that, we can see his goodness working in us. And that gives us confidence and hope. The third command here, this imperative, is against lying. And it's very strong. Paul says literally, never lie. And the fact that this is given a separate treatment, like it's just this verb alone, it's not with another list, shows the emphasis that's on this. And it is a present imperative, so it is a continuous action on our parts. It could also be just a command for them to stop lying in general, like it's an assumption that it's something that they are struggling with. And again, I want to point out, as we've pointed out in the early weeks as well, that Paul is writing this letter to the church. And he's telling them to put these things off, which means they're not completely off yet. No one is perfect, and we will not be perfected until we are glorified. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses for bad behavior, because bad behavior is bad behavior, and just like these lists, it is sinful. But perhaps a separate subject that we need to also consider and talk about is how to respond in a Christ-like way to talk about grace and forgiveness when these things happen. Again, that's a, a different message, but it helps us to understand that, you know, as fellow sinners who are saved by grace, we need to be grace, gra gracious to those around us as we fall. But when it comes to lying, again, we had some pretty hard conversations about this last week, you know, because each time that we do it, it's circumstantial, and people will have varying beliefs on lying. Is it wrong to lie in all cases? It's one of those questions that, again, can be circumstantial. I still have a few that definitely tear me up inside. Some of the lies that I've told were to save my own skin, to be able to do what I wanted to do, maybe more for selfish reasons, or to make myself look better. Other lies have been because people have asked me to. Perhaps not share certain information. Information that would have caused more trauma or have been painful. In each circumstances, I weigh each case of what's being asked of me. Now, in some instances, obviously, I'm a mandatory reporter and I have to report some of those situations. But in other cases, I rely on discerning the spirit and helping the people to be as truthful as they can. 
Because what Paul is really painting is how lying is so anti-God because he is truth. Now, there's several verses that we should consider when we think about lying. Numbers 23, which we covered a few weeks ago, Balaam said this in his second oracle. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said he will, he, has he said, and he will not do it? Question mark. In Titus 1-2, he says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages, began. And finally, Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So it is against God's nature to lie. You know, and when we look at these lists as a whole, I'm sure that there are a few things that we are currently struggling through. We all have different circumstances. We all have different hardships that we're walking through, different things that maybe we're trying to excuse one way or the other so as to not make ourselves look bad. It doesn't change the fact that these things are wrong. The reason for these commands, I think, uh, can be found in verses 9 and 10, where the old person, the old self, is the person that the Christian was before God united them with Christ. You know, you look at verse 10, and it shows and it describes the process of individual sanctification in which the new self is being renewed or renovated in Christ's image. For instance, if it's Christ's character to not lie, we need to be encouraged and to be filled with hope that God is making us into that image, that through surrender, through submission, we can put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. And it's the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The renewed here is a present passive, meaning that the work is being done to you. It's a continuous work being done to you. We also need to make connection to, as it says, the image of its creator. Pop quiz. Where have we seen these words recently? Well, the fact that I said recently should tell you that it's Colossians. But back in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, as it's talking about who Christ is, Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So what we see here in this connection is Paul is consistent in his teaching and how he is portraying Christ. How he is portraying how Christ is the image of God, how we are being renewed into Christ's image, how Christ is the creator as well so that when we look at verse 10 and it says which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator we can have hope and certainty of what is coming for us in terms of sanctification in christ we are united to him and we are united to one another 
we look at verse 11, it shows that there is no national or racial distinction that determines one's acceptability to God or puts them in a better position ahead of someone else. There's no religious, cultural, social distinction that does that. Christ tears down all of those barriers, all of those divisions, and he brings unity. The pairs that are found in verse 11 are like opposites. They're not normally not together, and it would show different ends of the spectrum, and it's implied that everything in between would be included to show that in everything, in all in all, in Christ, we find unity. It is in him that essentially is all that we need for new growth, or new birth and growth. And it is to him that we surrender and submit. So when we look at passages like this that deal with the old self, when we explore the tension of the already and not yet, and we step into those moments of guilt, it can be tough, for sure. We can create doubts in our hearts and minds, but we have to rest on the truth that is found in the hope of Christ. We sin, we feel that guilt, but because our hope is in Christ, we are taught to repent, which means to turn away from that sin and then turn towards Christ. Turn towards his teachings in those areas that you might be struggling with. Stop believing the lie that sexual sins will fulfill you. They won't. Only Christ will fulfill you. Stop believing in the lie that you can and should say whatever comes to your mind because you have freedom of speech in America. No, our speech is supposed to be seasoned with grace and love. We are to be salt as his ambassadors in this world. My hope in this today is to draw our minds onto what we once were so that we can see what Christ has made us into. Understand what we are saved from and what we are saved unto. Even though we may stumble, the Spirit does not forsake us. He does not give up on us. We are being renewed into his image each day. So we press into the Father each day, reading his word, enjoying his pleasures, coming alongside of each other for encouragement, for grace, for love, instead of tearing each other down, helping each other up when we fall, rather than kicking one another to make ourselves look better. Because we're in this together. And as we come together and we build each other up in love as Christ has loved us, we grow stronger for it. We come, become a community and a church that Christ calls us to be, displaying his grace and his love. Understanding that the wrath of God is coming for the disobedient in this world. Those who would be identified as those that have rejected Christ, that are still living in the old ways. So that when we understand the gospel message, we're understanding what we have been saved from. We are understanding the joy and the beauty of Christ and what he has done on the cross as we celebrated today with communion as well. There's a lot to reflect on in life. I'm hoping that we can see the beauty found in Christ instead of the ugliness of this world. Let's pray. Lord, as we have different struggles day to day, Lord, I pray that we can understand that our hope is in you. I pray that we would understand how our identity rests in you and that we are secure. Lord, I pray each day that we would be able to put on the armor of God because the attacks from the enemy are relentless the lies that we hear, the falsities, 
try to, to distract us away from the truth. So Lord, I just pray protection on each one here, especially as we face hardships and trials where there's so many different competing voices. Lord, I pray that your voice would be loud and clear to us. I pray that we would understand the good pleasure of being in your word, being in a, a wonderful fellowship with brothers and sisters who are concerned. And Lord, that we can display your grace and your truth in our words and actions as we are your ambassadors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. 